the Lord himself appeared and gave the celestial law the keep sweet training. There are such details in this chapter it requires of us to read it over and over again. May it be so simple this time that you will not miss it. And you will see we have always been taught to keep sweet. We come to what is called the Beatitudes. People have wondered what the word Beatitude means. I simply say to you, these things must be your attitude or spirit. They must be in you as your way of life Thank you. Are we recording? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Creep It Real. I'm Ashley. And I'm Bianca. Welcome to creep it real we're here it's december it's almost over it's december 27th today actually yeah which means by the time that you're listening to this it'll be december 28th <laughs> which also I means feel like something, i feel like something is happening here that by the time that you're listening to it it will be ashley's birthday mm. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very valiant effort there you know i can't do the blues clues <laughs> like you can i am going to be 36 years old at the time of this release <laughs> god someone save me actually it's not that i am so concerned about my age i really am not you know i'm not like oh my god i'm getting so old or anything like that but i i do find it to be just so strange that i'm 36 years old like I don't feel any different than I felt when I was 20 years old. You yeah. know, I really don't. And then I, we talked about this at work the other day and they were like, Ambie said, this lady that work, works with us, that's a, an appraiser. She came in for a minute. She's like two years older than us. And she goes, I don't know why it is, but Ashley Tucci just seemed like, I don't know if I should say her whole name. Ashley just seemed, well, cause it's confusing because sure, I'm sure, Ashley. Sure, sure, sure. Ashley Tucci just seems so much more um, mature than we do. And I was like, than we are. And I was like, you know, I think you're right because I treat her whenever she like I talk to her, I treat her like she is like an authority figure or something. And sometimes I find myself doing that and I'm like, what am I doing? We're the same age. <laughs> but like it's in my head. I just yeah. don't feel. And so we were like, is that because we don't have kids maybe? That is it because when people have kids, they start to become that more like mature seeming sure, person maybe. because they have more responsibilities in life I or something. Know. I don't know what it is, but I'm like, listen, and then one of the girls goes, I mean, she just seems so much so put together. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm, I know I'm not. I know in my life is a fucking tumultuous, you Mess. know, uh, no. I, roller coaster ride of, of, of a life. But, you know, I don't know. I just, like, I, on my little, um, pattern thing, uh -huh. it was like, you're, you just don't have a conventional, Way of, way of being, being. Yeah. that is not who you are supposed to be and i was like well fuck i always think that but then i'm like but i'm supposed to just no be no nobody's as everyone else to. is supposed to be you know but then i'm like you know what maybe that is maybe that's true maybe i just have an unconventional 
life. It's why I was like, you know, in 30 years, we're going to Golden Girls it up. <laughs> you know? I mean, like, that sounds better to me. Like, <laughs> just, just sounds better. So anyway, uh, but yeah, thank you for the, thank you for the birthday shout out. You're welcome. My friend. <laughs> Here. <laughs> On the show. <laughs> You're if, welcome. If anyone feels compelled to send me <laughs> gifts. We have a PO box. <laughs> don't feel sh- don't feel embarrassed. <laughs> I welcome any and all gifts, such as this Henry Cavill blanket that I was delivered this afternoon <laughs> by my sister-in-law Casey. <laughs> so, hello, welcome back, everybody, and thank you guys so much for your response on our last episode, our Missy Beavers episode. We love, we do love hearing all of your theories about what happened, whether the killer was a man or a woman, whether Missy was meeting someone at the church and if it was her father-in-law, so on and so forth. Oh my gosh. There's so many things that happened with comments in that video and stuff that we posted where I was like, <laughs> there's so many things I want to talk about here. Like I still want to talk about. And then I started thinking like, wait a second, what if this happened? And you know, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's never going to end. But so. you knew that was going to happen yeah, too while we yeah. were recording. Also, welcome to our family officially, Kimberly from Nebraska. <laughs> Patrons, we also hope you liked our second Focus on the Family episode with our good friend Jordan. And just for clarification, that is our series talking to our lovely patrons and getting to know you guys. It's not like, you know, the focus on the family situation because I think there was some confusion on that. Well, it, it, it is a play on that situation. Yeah. It's just maybe it's a little too highbrow for some of you. Shut up. <laughs> You're ridiculous. I know. Of course, all support is greatly appreciated. And we did have like another influx of reviews on iTunes, which we really, really, really appreciate. So head on over to iTunes and leave your girls a five-star written review and something so we can, or something so we can see it. It doesn't have to be long at all, although we do read all of it and appreciate it. I mean, sometimes you'll legit make me get a little teary-eyed. Ashley got teary-eyed over Cody's review a couple weeks ago. (laughs) It's very sweet. Some of you are not iTunes users. I know our friend and our patron Joe isn't. So if you are like Joe... And use Spotify, which I do too. Just follow us there. And I'm pretty confident that that's just as good as an iTunes review. Except it doesn't warm the cockles of my heart. (laughs) It warms mine, though. (laughs) We've also uploaded our entire back catalog of episodes onto YouTube. So if you want to share us with your friends or family and they have neither iTunes nor Spotify, shoot them a link to YouTube and they can listen to us there. And that's it. We hope that they love the show just as much as you do. And with all of that out of the way, we wanted to cover a cult and a cult leader this week. And this one's a big one, which is why we took two and a half weeks to do the research and record Mm -hmm. and why this episode is going to be the longest episode in our catalog. It is the, it's the, it's the topic that got me into cults in the first place when I was like, seven years old and saw like a dateline or 60 minutes or something on this cult and makes old Bill Gothard look like an absolute saint. We are covering Warren Jeffs and the FLDS church. For our research, I read Breaking Free, How I Escaped Polygamy, the FLDS cult, and my father, Warren Jeffs. And I walked and I watched the documentaries, Prophets Pray, Warren Jeffs, Prophet of Evil, and I watched 16 minutes of the Lifetime movie (laughs) 
outlaw prophet, which provides only drama and is completely contradictory to literally anything else that I read about Warren Jeffs or researched about him or Rulon Jeffs. Okay. I, I read Prophets Pray, my seven-year investigation into Warren Jeffs and the Fundamentalist Church of Latter-day Saints by Sam Brower, who is a investigator and i also watched a few documentaries blah 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 i don't really remember i don't really remember i think one of them was like the a&e cults and uh extreme beliefs oh yes, episode yes, yes on yes. the flds church as is the case with all self-proclaimed prophets warren steed is his middle name everyone mm-hmm. jeff's is psychotically self-confident so confident in fact that he has quote unquote taken well over 70 women and young girls as wives we'll talk about those numbers later and amassed a following of well over 10,000 followers with his fundamentalist church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints otherwise known as FLDS because who in the fuck is going to say all of that no the FLDS is one of the largest fundamentalist Mormon denominations and the largest organization in the United States whose members practice polygamy in the early 20th century, its founding members were excommunicated from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in large part for refusing to abandon the practice of polygamy. And so the fun- fundamentalist Mormon movement was born. Real quick. Yeah. Fundala- fundamentalist Mormon, that's something that the actual Mormon church hates. Oh, yeah. They hate fundamentalist Mormon. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know Because what? they've, like, they've trademarked the phrase. The- the phrase Mormon or uh-huh. the word Mormon. Oh. And they're like, that is not Uh-oh. of the Mormon culture. <laughs> so we're going to get some backlash here. Oh, maybe. My uncle is actually Mormon um, in Texas. Wow. Interestingly enough, he's like a deacon at a Mormon oh, wow. church. So whatever. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> little interesting tidbit. Uh, I don't know if my, my cousins listen, but if you do, hey, guys. So wj demands absolute obedience from his followers and nothing is to be questioned they believe every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of the lord's anointed he seems not that i'm a psychiatrist but he does seem to have uh, symptoms of symptoms traits of narcissistic personality disorder and sociopathy as it does seem like he was he is unable to emotionally bond with people and he puts himself first and doesn't seem to feel the pain that he inflicts upon everybody essentially yeah. like, he is a tyrant you know you call me a tyrant but this is a true tyrant this is a true tyrant <laughs> i was gonna say what you aspire to be like but then i <laughs> no, was like no that's an I insult don't. that's the worst insult <laughs> he appears to use his quote-unquote love for god as a way to get people to trust him and allow him to manipulate and abuse them with abandon he took immense pleasure in the pain of others and especially in the power that he had over them Additionally, it is well known within the FLDS community that members of the Steed family on his mother's side suffered from schizophrenia. It is even more well known that WJ regularly regularly heard voices, which of course were attributed to heavenly beings. As he got older, it was thought he was either on the brink of genius or complete insanity. When he took over control of the cult, he became obviously increasingly paranoid and irrational. He began to call his bouts of hearing voices, quote-unquote, heavenly sessions, where he was speaking to God and his dead father, and he would collapse in a fit of mumbling, shaking fits. He would excuse himself from meetings because he'd feel he'd have a heavenly session coming on, and... He also used these heavenly sessions to pretty much excuse the rape and abuse of underage children, which, as we will get into, there is a lot of that going on here. But before we get into all of the sordid details of WJ and the FLDS Church after he took 
the control as the quote unquote prophet. Let's discuss his upbringing. So I'm going to refer to him as Warren or Warren Jeffs. I don't know if that's okay. (laughs) You can't say WJ. Should I not have said it? (laughs) It's okay. It's fine. Warren Jeffs was born to Rulon Jeffs and Marilyn Steed on December 3rd of 1955 in Sacramento, California, and started a movement within the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to turn the church from a system of community and helping one another to a system of pleasing the prophet, who was, spoiler alert, himself. So, but first, I want to go into the history of the FLDS a little and provide some background on just how Warren Jeffs came into power And we're going to do that by going all the way back to the beginning for a very brief synopsis. In 1830, Joseph Smith founded the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, claiming that in his lifetime, God had spoken to him more than 100 times. Oh, lucky duck, Joseph Smith. (laughs) One of the revelations which he received was recorded by a scribe on July 12th of 1843 and almost destroyed the church in its beginning stages. He described plural marriage as the most holy and important doctrine revealed to any man on earth. Each Mormon male would need at least three wives to get into heaven, and Joseph Smith himself married 40. Of course, thousands of people believed in him and followed him on a forced migration, searching for the American Zion, eventually settling in an area of Hancock County called that they ended up naming, naming Nauvoo, Illinois. I'm sure Illinois holds the <laughs> holds high on for all of us. <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> the area of Nauvoo was first called Kashkema, named in honor of the Native American chief who headed a Soak and Fox settlement, numbering nearly 500 lodges. By 1827, white settlers had built cabins in the area, and by 1829, this area of Hancock County had grown sufficiently so that a post office was needed, and in 1932, 1832, the town, now called Venus, was one of the contenders for the new county seat. However, the honor was awarded to a nearby city named Carthage. In 1834, the name Venus was changed to Commerce because the settlers felt the new name better suited their plans. Then, in 1839, the Mormons rolled into town, renaming it Nauvoo, which is the anglicized spelling for the Hebrew word for a beautiful place or beautiful city. In 1844, Joseph Smith was indicted and jailed for treason. The governor of Illinois guaranteed his safety, but a mob stormed the jailhouse. Somebody had actually given him a gun, Joseph Smith, for protection, and he shot into the crowd. Just like you should. Of course, I would. Mm -hmm. In retaliation, somebody shot him in the back, killing him. Brigham Young then took over the congregation and led the 15,000 people across the country to what was then Mexican wilderness, later to become Utah. Over the next 30 years, federal agents visited almost every town in Utah to arrest polygamists. In 1890, Mormons renounced polygamy due to the pressure from the government. However, not all Mormons were happy with this renunciation, and some splintered off from the church, creating the FLDS. It is very important to create a distinction between the regular Mormon church or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints versus the FLDS. For instance, the FLDS still believes in the concept of blood atonement, which is the archaic belief that one should shed their own blood in order to make up for their sins or transgressions. When the FLDS splintered off from the church, 
they also created a different hierarchy of male, of course, leaders in the church to serve as a priesthood council. The longest sitting member being this called the, the senior member, which kind of just sounds like, duh, of course, it's called the senior member. Anyways, <laughs> so the Splinter Group moved to the outskirts of Salt Lake City of Hildale, Utah, and Colorado City, Arizona. These areas collectively are known as Short Creek, and they straddle the border there. And they all, they call it the Crick. <sighs> they do call it the Crick. Yeah. Anybody... Anybody here, anybody in the Midwest calls it, calls a creek a crick too. They? Okay. Which is great. <laughs> and every time I'm like, it's, cr- there's two E's. <laughs> the residents of Short Creek were already very wary of outsiders and government influence as the government was the reason that they had to splinter off in the first place. Even digging a system of tunnels and bunkers into their surrounding mountainsides in the event of government raids. Well, they're crazy. Uh, So, Short Creek was a secluded FLDS-based town, like you said, in an area along Utah and Arizona borders. It's like like one of those little cities that straddles two towns. Uh, Two towns in two different states, they operate in most ways as a a single entity. Honestly, the town itself is pretty much like a ghost, operates as a, or exists as a ghost to both states, as most residents in those states barely acknowledge its existence and the fact that the FLDS cult is there in large presence pretty much controlling everything Mm -hmm. the first marshal of short creek was named sam barlow and he got decertified in the 90s for lying to washington county sheriffs about a cache of over 180 semi-automatic rifles that he'd secreted away in a cave for the church or cult as i will continue to call them and uh that just goes to show you the whole town essentially is controlled by the FLDS. Mm-hmm. There's really not like there might be police, there might be a judge, there might be teachers, there might be whatever. They're all FLDS. Yeah, but they're all FLDS and FLDS, as we'll talk about, they are under the control of the prophet 100 mm-hmm. percent. The standard greeting committee for any outsiders coming into the town is a bunch of jacked up trucks with super dark tinted windows called plig rigs that will box you in on the road and attempt to intimidate Mm. you to run you out of town. Uh, In Short Creek, young girls are taken to the altar without any understanding of sex ed or marital relationships. Families are arbitrarily broken up. Kicking, hu- kicking the husbands and fathers out of town and assigning those children and wives to different men. Um, women are ordered then to take up the intimate relations with those men that they're assigned to, even though they've been married to this other person for however long that they've been married. It's absolutely no choice of theirs whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, un- and as we'll go, we'll go into all of this a little bit more as we go along, but unwanted young boys are literally thrown away on the side of the highway to limit competition for young brides. And their quote unquote education in Short Creek is pretty solely used as a way to indoctrinate the kids with religious dogma. And even that is short lived as most boys are taken out of school around the age of eight years old to begin working on construction sites because they use solely FLDS members to work on any of the construction in the city. And literally there's just little kids just out there working their lives away. It is unreal. FLDS controlled all town services, including police, which completely ignore the man, the laws of man. If they conflict with what they believe to be the laws of God or whatever nonsense that had been imposed by the prophet was told to them nearest 
the nearest legit police department is five hours away in Kingman, Arizona, which is really frightening to think about, especially if you're somebody going into Short Creek to possibly investigate the criminal activity mm-hmm. that's going on. And as an extension of this, Warren Jeffs, I guess, has his hand in all of it and is incredibly skilled at micromanaging every single aspect of the town. There's literally no secret from him in Short Creek. And obviously, we're still talking about like the past of Short Creek, but this is current day, uh, you know, and, and, and before he was there, it was whoever was the prophet before him doing the same thing. He just got a little bit more like maniacal with the whole thing. 100%. And it was due to his a lot a large part his father right speaking of ruland jeffs was his father and in 1930 he was sent to work at a mission headquarters in london for two years and when he came back to the state of utah he started a job at the tax the state tax commission a few years later he married grace zola brown who was a daughter of an influential lds apostle hugh b brown and that gave him a direct link to leadership and influence inside of the church The pair had two children. He would be introduced to Mormon fundamentalism in September of 1938 when he took his father, David Ward Jeffs, out for a birthday dinner. David had been a polygamist in hiding for a long, long time. Rulin had been secretly born to David's second wife in an underground pregnancy of sorts because he wasn't supposed to have her as a wife. So he was kind of like a secret child Mm -hmm. um, that ended up being his favorite. At that birthday dinner, David revealed the truth about his life and the secret polygamous society that was going on all around them that Rulin had no idea about. He took him to meet the leader of the underground fundamentalist movement, Uncle John Y. Barlow, who had been excommunicated by the LDS church due to his fundamentalist, particularly polygamist, philosophy. After those meetings, Rulin Jeffs was like, wait a second, I can treat humans as a commodity and folk, folk, and fuck multiple women, little girl, and little girls at, at the same time by claiming to be a fundamentalist? Sign me up. And then <laughs> he was a full-fledged member immediately. I mean, I guess, how can you, you not as a man? I don't know. Yeah. How can you really blame his immediate, like, I can have multiple women at one time and it's condoned by God? Rulin, Rulin, and the rest of the fundies would hang out at a place would hang out at cottage meetings around Salt Lake City where they would talk about the plural lifestyle and how to shape the idealistic priesthood order to oversee their breakaway faith that they were calling the work. Mm. Roland told Zola in 1940 that he found a shop girl he wanted to marry as a second wife, and she was not thrilled by the idea. Why not? <laughs> Polygamy was no longer part of the Mormon doctrine, and anyone who was found to be practicing would be excommunicated. Zola said multiple wives weren't part of their arrangement when they got married and told him to stop living in the past. Her father came over and issued Rulin an ultimatum. He had to give up his heretical ideas and, or risk getting kicked out of not only the LDS, but the entire Brown family. But Rulin had already married the shop girl. So he refused and the threats were indeed carried out and Zola took their sons and moved to California while Rulin would go on to replace her with dozens of wives. She was not that special, I guess. I guess In not. his eyes. He would go on to rapidly ascend the ranks of the new Fundy Church, eventually holding one of the second positions on the priesthood council who shared power over the organization and everyone in it. In 1942, they created a scheme called the United Effort Plan Trust, or UEP, where they pulled their resources under the notion that they would all share the wealth equally amongst themselves. That I sounds think, familiar. <laughs> 
What do you mean? I just feels like, I don't know. That sounds like something that's going on in politics right now. But oh. that's neither here nor there. <laughs> okay. The idealistic idea would later be abandoned for the good old system of tithing. But it didn't stop there. With the UEP, all real estate holdings and other assets would be filtered into it and with the trustees deciding where and how to distribute the assets along with distributing entitlements and obviously that would mean that these few select men at the very head of the UEP were really doing whatever they wanted with all this money. Hmm. Strange. That's so weird. <laughs> That's a foreign concept to myself. We don't know anything about that. Rulon was appointed a trustee of the UEP and the UEP would go on to become the financial arm of the church, which grew to be worth millions. The UEP had no bank account to prevent their financial records from coming under legal scrutiny, and it was controlled primarily through Roland T. Jeff's trust, which he had solely, which he had sole authority of. How does that even happen? Mm. Instead of the money going to help those in need, it became spoils for the corrupt loyalists to their false profit. Oh, wow. I'm shocked about that, too. <laughs> Trickle down, you guys. It was while Roland was living it up in SLC, Salt Lake City, that a colony of polygamists were settling in the isolated town of Short Creek. While the two separate settlements shared the same ideals, they were also vastly different entities, as they had no central leadership and were frequently challenging each other as being a states, forcing the small losing factions to migrate and settle somewhere else, leading to little bubbles of polygamy all over the West. And also, this is going to go on for the forever until now. I mean, like forever, like the the infighting in the church mm -hmm. because of the lack of like structure and how they take over after like someone dies, a prophet dies or how, you know, all of that. There's really no structure whatsoever right. so they're always just fighting constantly about who should be in charge who who's the be, prophet who's the prophet who should be kicked out yes yada 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 the first leader of the flds was john y barlow who led the community of short creek until his death on december 29th of 1949 oh he died a day after my birthday oh happy birthday sayonara john he was succeeded by Joseph Whitemusser, who was the church's leader during a government crackdown on polygamy known as the Short Creek Raid. It was to the FLDS confirmation that the outside world was dangerous. On July 26th of 1953, more than 50 law enforcement agents gathered around the original Short Creek compound in Colorado City to take the community by surprise and arrest them for polygamy. But the leaders of the FLDS were tricked tipped off as vehicles approached three explosions off of the road signaled their arrival law enforcement found only women and children in the homes on the compound and the men were all dressed in their sunday best in front of the church singing in counter protest to law enforcement storming their compound 122 men were served warrants that day and women were sent to phoenix and the children were put in the foster care system warren jeffs was not a part of the raid, but it would be something that he would use as proof that the outside world was dangerous, thus making his congregation subject to an us-versus-them mentality. Musser led the community until a contentious appointment of Rulon Allred to a high a position of authority in 1951 angered some members of the Short Creek community. Musser had appointed Allred to be his successor, but he was not accepted as his successor by the community, leading to another schism with many, with many followers breaking off and joining Alred. 
This offshoot became known as the um, Apostolic United Brethren. The core group in the Short Creek area instead followed Charles Zitting as its leader. Zitting died in 1954, and Leroy S. Johnson was chosen to lead the church in Short Creek. He led the FLDS until his death in 1986 and then was succeeded by Rulon Jeffs, who assumed the position of prophet, which was a title that Zitting refused to use. Well, isn't yeah, there is something to be said because pretty much up until Rulon, nobody they, used the no one used yeah. the prophet word. They didn't have they weren't just like so utterly, I mean, they're fundamentalists. So of course they're going to be strict, but they weren't so absolutely like you must listen to everything I say, no right. matter what, or I'm going to kick you out mm-hmm. and you will be abandoned forever by God and condemned to hell, which is essentially their mentality. There, Like I said, there was no actual procedure for this takeover. When Leroy Johnson before, so before Rulon took over Leroy Johnson had him as pretty much his right hand man and the two men ruled the church under strict control as they had both seen what would happen if too many people were able to interfere with the prophet's desires they became the champions of a no questions allowed policy called one man rule which sounds like a dream oh 100% sending the seven member priesthood council on its way to obscurity which would leave no system of checks and balances to keep the prophet from running amok because before then they couldn't just say whatever they wanted and have everybody listen because there were other men in the priesthood council who were going to say wait a second that mm-hmm. sounds like you're making this up and he, they were like let's get rid of this because we don't want to have anybody having their hands ming- meddling in our business god's telling us directly to our ears so get out of our business everybody else so when uncle roy as they called Leroy, d- died in 1986 there was no question that Rulon. Rulon would be his successor as somehow the revelations and prophet soothsaying is transferable in the FLDS church. So that's convenient for everyone, isn't it? Naturally, Rulon's most rabid, frothing-at-the-mouth supporter was his son, Warren. Rulon would go on to take over 50 wives as the prophet of the church, which, like we just said, was the title that he began to, to use when he began his rule of the FLDS. Marilyn Steed was the sixth of these wives and Rulon's favorite. She came from a line of very prominent, of a very prominent FLDS family who believed that they were of a royal bloodline and that through their bloodline, an individual would be brought forth that would become a great person and leader of the world. That's like every parent. <laughs> yeah, I think every parent believes that. She gave birth to five sons, Leroy, Warren, Lyle, Nephi, and Seth. Warren was born two years after the Short Creek Raid, in Sac- and he was born in Sacramento, California. They were in California at Rulon's behest, who had told Marilyn to stay there while things blew over in Short Creek. Warren was born two... E- oh, fuck. <laughs> two years <laughs> premature. <laughs> He was born two months premature, and at the time, the survival rate of preemies was so low that because of his survival, both Rulon and Marilyn viewed him as the golden child, even though he was the 14th of Rulon's children. And a little uglykin. <laughs> uglykin. Studies done at the University of Lincoln state that children who grow up in large families, particularly polygamous families, often develop more emotional and psychological problems than those in monogamous or smaller families. In polygamous families, hostility 
paranoid ideation, externalizing problems, and acute defective disorders are not uncommon. It is also not uncommon for children to turn to manipulation to set themselves apart and to get some attention. Jeez. Well, because he was the golden child, he developed an inflated sense of self. You would never have guessed that. I know. So weird. <laughs> Meaning that he felt he could no, do no wrong and he expected everyone else to treat him the same way that his parents did. Warren, of course, loved being the favorite. He would lord over his siblings and he would order them around as well. And when they would resist, he would tattle on him. Oh, my God. What a little, he, of course, you can look at his face and just tell he's a snitch ass bitch. <laughs> snitch ass bitch. Amongst his 65 brothers and sisters, oh, God. seven were full blood siblings and he bonded most with his brothers. Because they got together to rape people. Yep. Leroy was quiet but big, so he prov- proved to Warren to be good for protection. Nephi was his guidance and his advisor. Seth and Isaac were essentially his lackeys and did whatever he want, running errands and shit. Mm. Because of the way his parents treated him, his brothers also began to believe that he was the golden child. And this made it easier to manipulate them and everyone else, which continued to add to his delusion of grandeur. It's exactly the opposite of what needed to be happening. Sure, yeah, exactly. All of this favoritism is thought to have developed a narcissistic complex in Warren, which often begins to show in childhood, and Ashley mentioned earlier. Narcissists often lack empathy, they have grandiose sense of self, and they have a preoccupation with power, along with a desire for admiration. All politicians. (laughs) Rulon, being the figurehead of the family, was the most enabling person in his life, although Marilyn was also extremely protective of Warren. Whenever he did anything wrong, she'd bring up other people's faults to cover him or just place the blame on somebody else. Oh, my gosh. How many people who have grown to be psychots has this happened with? There's, I, I cannot even remember all the people that we've talked about whose parents would... Enabled them? And they just completely enabled them and ex- made excuses for them along, along the way at every turn. Warren went to Alta Academy, which was a school in Salt Lake City, Utah. That Rulon Jeffs founded from uh, 1972. It did close in 1998 and taught first through eighth grade. Because as Elaine Anderson, who is the sister of Warren Jeffs, says, you don't need to go further than that, really. No, no further. <laughs> eighth grade's just eighth the... Eighth grade, that's it. That's it. Because you all you need to know. The school was originally built for his own family, but word got out about it. And it became one for all faithful FLDS members. This was also where Warren met Rob Roback. He met Warren when he was 19 years old at school and said that they were thrown together in both school and a lot of other things. And Rulon himself promoted it, seeing Rob as an advantage to himself and his sons. Rob was essentially the vice principal and head of security at Alta Academy, installing a security system that included pressure-sensitive mats, cameras, and a phone system that recorded all in and outgoing calls. What is this, the prison? Yeah, pretty much. Um, But back to Warren, when he was at Alta Academy, Rulon would often pull him out, even though he was boarding at the school, for important FLDS business, and he would bring him in to sit on church meetings etc. Warren loved the intensity of his schedule because society views busyness as equaling success, and he would use his hectic life to leverage respect. At school, Warren's heavy devotion to rules also made other kids wary of him. Well, yeah. 
However, he had to learn to adjust his personality to whoever he was with in order to maintain his mani manipulation and power over them and with each situation. For instance, with teachers and church leaders, he would be quiet and studious or reserved. And with Pierce, he became more of a jokester and lighthearted, maintaining his social fluidity. As Rulon gained more power in the FLDS and would introduce Warren to high-ranking church officials, Warren would befriend them in case they would be useful to him in the future, like collecting people. At 17, he was placed as a teacher at the Alta Academy. At 17? 17 years old. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then in 1973 to 1995, at age 18 and with only a high school diploma, his father made him the principal, which he would be for 13 years. It is believed that as the principal, he honed his ability to manipulate others even further, creating a more specified curriculum, which focused, of course, mostly on FLDS history. He restructured the curriculum to include within the first hour of school, prayers, hymns, readings from the Book of Mormon, and his own sermons. Additionally, he taught math and a modified version of history. <laughs> okay. He taught that man didn't land on the moon because God wouldn't allow it. <laughs> Sounding more like an episode of subliminal deception than a school. <laughs> it was also under Warren that he created the new school motto, perfect obedience produces perfect faith. And he reinstated corporal punishment, which included being beaten with a paddle or a yardstick. He was revered by most of his staff and students because he remembered everyone's name and seemed to genuinely be concerned with every student's success. This type of quote-unquote devotion to his students made it easy for people to trust him, even though he was a piece of shit. A complete piece of shit. Students also, with his request, started to refer to him as Uncle Warren to make people feel closer to him and like he was a part of the family. <sighs> While he was principal, he would essentially test the boundaries of fear and love until he got the perfect combination for manipulation. He was harsh, but he made it seem like he cared about them as well in order to maintain their loyalty. Regarding his tenure as principal at Alta Academy, I watched a documentary from 2016 by Amy Berg called Prophets Prey. And there was a private investigator named Sam, Sam Brower. Oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, that, that sounds familiar. <laughs> Who was a part of the Lost Boys case and Brent Sheff's case against Warren, which we'll get into a little bit later, a little bit more a little later. And he showed a tour of the school in the documentary and pointed out specifically Warren's office. The office was on the end of the schoolhouse and even had like that slanting support roof situation going on. It wasn't the nicest office, but because it was on the end of the schoolhouse, he would be able to watch the children in the playground and know instantly if they did something wrong. And I'm willing to bet it allowed him to do things in his office that he, other people didn't uh, know about. Know about. Yeah. yeah. Warren had also made up the dress code at the school, and as police of the dress code, he would ring, bring girls into his office alone if they were out of it. Warren's nephew, Brent, who was also one of Warren's victims, remembers kids being taken into his office all the time, coming out with a look of, quote, your soul being ripped out of your heart. Oh, so I'm just going to say, listen, everybody, this is a rough story. There's a lot of really horrible stuff that goes on in the story. Um, it's all important, I believe, in really understanding what went on and what has gone on in the FLDS church for a long, long time. And if you are somebody that 
this is going to affect, then this may not be the episode for you. We don't usually, you know, do like a warning, but it, this may not be for you if you're not, if you can't um, listen to stories of child abuse, sexual and otherwise, because there's a lot of that go- that goes on here. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So Brent recalled the boys' curriculum, focusing on the fact that they were going to be fathers one day. And in order to be good fathers, they had to be perfectly obedient to teachers, their father, church members, etc. This was drilled into them every single day. But Brent was one of the kids who questioned things. So, of course, he stood out like a sore thumb. He said, Brent said, that there was a bathroom in the basement of the schoolhouse and when they'd have special family meetings, Warren Jeffs would be up on the stand with Rulon, and Rulon would begin to speak. Then the children would all separate and go into their own classrooms. Warren would then disappear off the stage, and he would sneak into the basement, pulling in a child into one of the bathrooms and molest the kids. There were a lot of stories of Warren Jeffs beginning to molest children and um, telling, tell, beginning the molestation by saying, don't do this, and then proceeded to do the terrible, terrible things he would do. He would tell Brent, this is God's will, and if you tell anyone you're turning your back on God, you'll burn in hell for that. Unbelievable. But also, we're going to talk a little bit more because he Brent was not the only child in his even immediate family that was abused like this, and so we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little while. He, I think I read something that he had even abused his own sisters. Warren? Yeah. Yeah, he did. And his own daughters definitely which is which which is the book that i that uh, oh right uh, that i read Mm -hmm. warren married his first wife annette barlow in 1979 and not long after also married her sisters barbara ann and gloria as his second and third wives and each one of his wives uh from his first to his last who is nancy jones steed yes a distant cousin of his who was only 16 Mm -hmm. came from a powerful family within the flds Because men took so many wives, marriage to cousins within the FLDS was not seen as uncommon, and neither are sisters marrying the same man. So Mm. that's awesome. Yeah. Fun times. In 1986, Rulon was selected as the new prophet, as as we mentioned earlier, and Rulon's plans were designed to give his family more power and influence. It was at this time that Warren was 31. Which is exactly what you would hope a prophet would be. His intentions would be going into the situation. Is, no, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, let me get more power to my family and mm-hmm. more influence. Right. It was right after he was selected as the new prophet that Rulon made Warren counselor to church leaders. Rulon's first change within the FLDS was to eliminate the council of elders who made decisions for the community. Giving full decision making power to Rulon, but nobody recognized it. For 12 years, he tested the boundaries of his power, and during this time, he ooh, he introduced the mantra, keep sweet, which was a reminder to keep one's emotions in check and fill themselves up with the Holy Spirit. Oh, these are this is for all you positive vibes only people. <laughs> <laughs> he would use this phrase, for instance, when someone would speak out against him. He would remind them to keep sweet. Which actually turned out to be surprisingly effective. Super fucking effective. And in fact, am I going to start using this to all of my naysayers? Please don't. Keep sweet, please. Don't fight with me. You got to keep sweet. (laughs) This keep sweet phrase is a type of emotional manipulation called a thought terminating cliche. And it's actually a type of brainwashing technique. Um, There are a few of these, such as it is what it is. 
that's just your opinion. And freedom isn't free. And its only function is to stop an argument from proceeding further, or in other words, end the debate with a cliche, not a point. Very true. It's. I do find myself saying it is what it is sometimes. I say it all the time. I hate that. <laughs> it's so sad. I say it all the time. Yeah, well, it is what it is. Okay, what else are you supposed to say when it's like, there's no hope in this situation? <laughs> like, that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that. <laughs> in 1991, Rulon completed his incorporation of the FLDS, which meant that now the church could own property and get loans. This also made them exempt from taxation. Uh, okay, so I have legit thought about uh, what if we really made a church? How can you really stop that? You know, like you. There's a lot of stuff that you have to go through in order to make it a church. I think is there has there? to be like, yeah. Are you sure? Yes, because I was like reading about it and like how how the FLDS came to be. There has to be like a certain set of like, uh, not indoctrination, but like philosophy i can come up with a bunch of philosophy (laughs) there has to be like there there's a lot that goes into making it a church we'll see quote unquote okay (laughs) i don't know what to tell you other than yes there is (laughs) we'll see (laughs) all right but there is (laughs) so i just mentioned his nephew brent but i felt it was necessary to mention something else i had also read about um in his daughter, Rachel Jeff's book, Breaking Free. After Warren Jeffs had started singling her out, he's also started molesting her. And she goes into really graphic detail, which I don't think we need to go into. But there is one instance that I will speak uh, specifically about him working at the school. She said that one day she was cleaning his office and at his request, and he was sitting on his couch, then exposed himself to her. He then grabbed her arm and told her he wanted her to touch him. And when she wouldn't, he would tell her over and over to do so. So she finally did, realizing that he wasn't going to let her go unless she did. And, of course, this was her father, but this was also the prophet, after all. Mm -hmm. But the next day, he took her out shopping, and he told her she didn't pass his test. He told her, I told you to touch me to see if you wanted to, and you did it. And that shows me you have immoral thoughts and desires. Whoa. Whoa. Mother fucker. What a piece of shit. Motherfucker, dude. Okay, so... So, another Rachel Jeffs, daughter of Rulon and sister of Warren, sought out professional therapy to help her work through the abuse and trauma that she suffered as a child and young adult, and would eventually overdose in a situation that many called a suicide. Following her death, Warren used it as a warning to his followers about what would happen to women who strayed from the faith. Is obviously you don't listen to the men in your life, you're going to die. You're going to die of an overdose. Yeah. After being released from his pa- patient confidentiality after her death, her therapist shared her story with ex FLDS family members and friends outside of the cult. According to the therapist, the cause of her troubles was was that she had been sexually molested as a child by her father, Rulon, and by her brother, Warren. This was known by certain leaders in the cult, but they did nothing about it, as truly shocking as that is to all of us, I know. But Warren would later admit that he had inappropriate relations with a sister and a daughter when he was in prison. So it's pretty much, uh, he pretty much confirmed that that his sister, Rachel, was Mm -hmm. telling the truth. 
Warren, in 1995, resigned as the principal of Alta Academy to tend to the church cult. In 19, by 1997, he had six wives, and it was around this time that he started to notice more and more how his daughters were maturing. He had been molesting at this time, at the very least, his daughter Rachel and his nephew Brent, and as Brent said himself, who knows how many other kids he'd molested. Definitely his bro- Brent's brothers, which we'll talk about in a little while. And we know pretty certainly that he had molested even his own sister, although she didn't really truly come out and say it 100% to her husband. Yeah, it didn't come out until she died. Mm -hmm. After multiple minor strokes in 1997, Rulon had a massive one that incapacitated him, incapacitated him the same year that the first counselor, Parley Harker, died. And Warren jumped right in to fill the le- the leadership position, causing a bit of consternation from some of the members of the Crick, but no one did anything about it. What's new? They all just figured he would lay low for f- a few years, similar to his predecessor. After about one month, Warren was announcing his father essentially had the mental capacity of a child, and he would be standing in as his mouthpiece from there on out. And because everyone had been raised and trained to be subservient doormats, his plan to usurp the power was a complete and utter success. Naturally, if God had been speaking through Rulon, and Warren was now at his bedside acting as his mouthpiece, it was only natural that God would do a quick profit transfer, mm. as you do, and now Warren was getting direct messages from God through his daddy. <laughs> Although Rulon was confined to a bed and had difficulty articulating words, and then suffered from dementia due to the brain damage the strokes had caused, of course Warren, somehow, was able to understand everything he said. Warren would occasionally take him to church services to preside over a church service, and then at the end of his hour-long droning, he would kick it over to Rulon, who would then take a bit of time to be to be able to articulate just about anything, and it would inevitably be some warning about God's judgment and their sins being out of control and asking them in an accusatory holler if they understood what, he, what this meant, which, of course, they didn't really understand because you could barely understand him, right. but, you know, it was just like he wasn't saying a fuck fucking thing but the little few things he was saying it was you're going to hell if of you course. don't hurry up and take accountability for your actions right, right. gosh <laughs> you're a really great uh rule on just <laughs> i know i know i had a i had a i was in the running for the <laughs> movie <laughs> As rule on as rule on Wow, I'm strikingly resem. I have a striking resemblance to him. <laughs> yeah, you do. I know. Yeah, <laughs> happy 36th birthday, me. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying I look like rule on <laughs> Help. <laughs> Warren had stated that he was rule caregiver, and that everything they did with rule the wives had, did with rule had to go through him. Oh. So he began taking over Rulon's appointments and began dictating who Rulon would and would not see. And this is like not in my notes here. And it's, you know, it's just a comment I'm thinking mm-hmm. about. Uh, he, got ca- he got caught multiple times with his mm-hmm. father's wives before his father was dead. I have something about that. Don't worry. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm like, oh, this guy. Oh, he's such a sleaze. So, so some of the things that that Warren enacted in the church, in the cult, let's say, in the cult as he took over power slowly but surely. Uh, you know, it's something to be said. Like, they they really didn't want new members. They didn't want to, like, 
under Warren, and that was a point of contention with some of the other FLDS leaders in different areas. He was like, no more converts. Um, because we all have, we have as many people as we need. We, all the people that are trying to go to heaven, we've got them That's here it. already. Um, and so anybody that was a convert that hadn't been actually born into the church, they were never really accepted as anything more than like second class citizens and in, in the, cult i keep mm-hmm. saying church and cult but it's it's a fucking cult it's but cult. you know uh so obviously like we've talked about women are subservient and obedient they must keep sweet no matter Ooh. what they're not to be well educated which obviously works against them clearly that is they're doing that for a reason mm-hmm. uh like like bianca mentioned uh Blood atonement is something in the FLDS cult altogether, but Warren kind of used it to control the community. It was kind of like a threat that he was always there, like, watch out because you might end up where you have to spill your own blood for atonement for your sins. And it really did keep a lot of people extremely fearful of what would happen if they went against Warren. And this, this is something he learned from his father. And like they, like I said, they both used this archaic right for extortion and to exact revenge against people that they thought weren't following their directions. It was, it made it really difficult to disobey when your prophet can declare that the only way you could be forgiven was with your fucking life. So it's not at all, but Rulon and Warren both called it an act of love and duty to, to give your life over for, you know, like wearing a wearing a pair of pants if you're a woman, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Or a red dress. Yeah. Something because oh, right. only Jesus Christ oh, yeah, would come down and ascend from the heavens in a red robe it's a, for it's, some yeah, reason. It's an affront to Jesus to wear red. Mm. Um, in fact, Guy Musser, who we talked about earlier, who was a former leader of the church, once said, you brethren, you have got to learn to give strict obedience to every request made of you by this priesthood council. You have to prepare yourselves to the point where you will shed the blood of any of your brethren if we tell you to for the sake of his salvation as atonement for his sins and to prove your faithfulness, which definitely sounds to me like you're saying, if we ask you to, you better kill them this guy which i can't imagine in a society where they literally take every word as gospel Mm -hmm. that is insane to me Mm -hmm. that this entire community was like i'll kill i'll kill anybody (laughs) (laughs) i'll kill any one of you if i if i get asked to oh it's terrible it's terrible so while rulon lay incapacitated in his bed the the author of my book and investigator sam brower said that he believed that Winston Blackmore, who was the leader of the FLDS church in British Columbia, intercepted what may have very well been a blood atonement for something so absurd, I believe you should have a difficult time understanding how that could even be the case. So Winston Blackmore, he was called Uncle Wink. He was the bishop of a thousand-person FLDS enclave in bountiful British Columbia, just past the Canadian border, around 900 miles north of Short Creek. He had a rock star-like status in the cult, and he actually tried to live as an example of what he believed FLDS really was about, and did not live extravagantly, unlike the Jeffses. Is that how you say it? Is that how you say it? It sounds so strange, but I think that's how you say it. Probably. The Jeffses. He also did not believe or condone the practice of underage marriage later in life. He did initially, and then he claimed as he got older to begin to think it was wrong. Mm -hmm. So, you know. 
In 2002, his reign as the right-hand man of the prophet in Canada came to an end when Rulon called him, barely able to form a sentence, but being coached by Warren clearly in the background. It was He was on speakerphone, and there were multiple people in the room that heard Warren pretty much just saying word for word what then Rulon attempted to repeat. He was told to surrender his wives and was removed as a UEP trustee. He was also ordered to turn all of his business assets over to the UEP, or as we know, Warren is really the person. The person, yeah. This would be Warren's inevitable revenge against Blackmore for preventing the blood atonement of a girl, Vanessa Roback. So this is that little friend that we just talked about. His daughter, the Roback man that you had spoke about a minute ago. Mm. So it, this... This um, prevention of blood atonement of Vanessa Roback created a deep schism between the Canadian branch of FLDS, who were admittedly more relaxed in their beliefs, and they thought that the Americans were far too rigid, which it's like so unbelievable to me because I think about fundamentalists as being rigid as fuck regardless. Right. And to think that there were fundamentalists that thought this other branch of fundamentalists was too fundamentalism much. was too rigid. It you know, obviously, I think you get the picture. They were crazy, crazy rigid with their, what you know, and it wasn't even really biblical law. It was, which, what is biblical law anyway? But it wasn't even that. It was just Warren just being like, here's what I said. God told me. Well, the thing is, it, it is mentioned, too, that they, Warren Jeffs strayed further and further and further from Joseph Smith's teachings, mm-hmm. which me. But, you know, yeah, right. Like they, they were <laughs> not great to begin with, but, you know, then you get this just this lunatic and right. he was just going like a freewheeling nutcase. So Blackmore struggled tremendously with Warren's teachings that they were no longer supposed to attempt to save any more people or help anyone repent. Like I was talking about when Warren banished him, half of his followers continued to follow him while the other half began under Warren's chosen leader in that area. It was this man named Uller. Blackmore's wives completely ignored the warning to leave him or be doomed to hell, which is what they said. You know, and we'll talk about it in a little while, but I mean, it, it, we, we, it bears mentioning. If you're a woman in FLDS, your way to heaven or eternal salvation, the only way to avoid being doomed to hell is to be tied to a man who gets to heaven. Mm-hmm. That's the only mm-hmm. way. Are you fucking kidding me? I will burn all of you alive. I would be, I cannot. <laughs> Ah, I like, I really, truly, I was like reading all this, like going, I know there were some people in here that were like, fuck this when they were even young. Yeah. And I know. So it's like, I, and I know you're brainwashed, but like, I feel like I probably would have killed all everybody. I would have killed everybody. I would have burned the whole city down. (laughs) And myself there too. I would have just burned it all. I can't imagine just being like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whatever you say, father. Father. Whatever. (laughs) So anyway. Winston Blackmore would go on to cooperate with multiple law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, and it would ultimately lead to the demise of Warren. So he got his payback eventually. But let's talk about this Vanessa Robach situation where it seems to me and to this investigator that Warren might have been ready to kill this chick. So she was a 16-year-old girl. She was the daughter of Rulon's old drinking buddy, Ron Roebuck, who you talked about earlier, who was pretty much an uh-huh. old pal of his, uh-huh. and they, uh, his assistant principal at the school. Uh-huh. Uh, she had been given, without her consent, of course, to be the third wife of an old man in Short Creek. She told Blackmore later, I about died. I was only 16, and I did not want to marry that guy, but I was told that if I did not do it, there would be nothing more for me, ever. And obviously, hell. Mm. 
she ran away to her sisters who had been ex- she who had also been expelled from the FLDS church de cult. But soon the doubts of Vanessa's doubts won over, which I can understand that too because we've we haven't talked about our own religious upbringings. But I was very against them from a pretty early age. But mm-hmm. even still, I would sometimes go, "Well, what if I'm wrong?" and and right. I what if I turned against this and right. everything you know, and I'm condemned. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think the difference between you and I, though, is that I, like, jumped into it feet first, and Mm -hmm. I was like, yes, this is great. I'm so glad that I'm going to be forgiven for the things I've done. Mm -hmm. And you questioned it, and then it wasn't until the leaders in my church were terrible, terrible, awful human beings Mm -hmm. towards me for a mistake that I made as a 15-year-old girl Mm -hmm. that I started being like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. No, no. Wait a fucking second here. What what about about unconditional love? (laughs) No. What about forgiveness? No. No. Just, but, but what I'm saying is like that, I think that's yours was like your force upon you, and mine mm-hmm. was like, yeah. I was like, yes, yeah. I'll take it. And then it was like a harsh awakening. And then it was a harsh awakening yeah. for sure. Right. Anyway, sorry. No, it's, it's, it's fine. So, so she returned to her father's because she was like, what if I'm wrong and I don't want to be doomed to hell? Yes. So she was soon caught though, sneaking away to go on dates with a boy. Gasp. Oh no. Her own age. Her own age? Yes. What a slut. I know. And Warren was furious. What a goddamn ass. But. Due to Rulon's relationship with her father, it was decided that she could go to Canada for a quote-unquote cooling-off period, which was honestly very, I was honestly kind of shocked that it even happened to begin with, but it was just, uh, it was like at the beginning of of Warren's, you know, takeover, and I think he just hadn't fully gotten all the confidence in himself that he needed. So she went to stay with Blackmore and was even granted a rebaptism, which Mm. gave her a quote-unquote clean slate. And then she ruined it all by saying that she wanted to marry someone of her own choosing. How dare she? Dare she. Again, Warren was furious. Even more so this time, as how fucking dare this girl want to marry someone of her own choosing. He had said he had warned his father that she'd go and do this if she was granted a rebaptism and here she was whoring around trying to marry a boy her own age like how could she even begin to think of such a thing (laughs) warren said there was nothing left to do but send her back to him for blood atonement he instructed her father and blackmore to pray night and day for the lord to destroy her from the face of the earth he was condemning her to death for not wanting to marry the old dudes he was attempting to force her to marry how dare she again? After he refused, after Blackmore refused to send her back to Short Creek for the FLDS creeps to atone for her quote unquote sins with her blood, he, Warren, sent his lackeys to collect her on multiple occasions, to which Blackmore refused each and every time, eventually notifying the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, who contacted the FBI and the Utah Attorney General's office. Warren had to back off or the law would intervene and so he did, but he never forgot that situation. Vanessa ended up marrying the young man that she'd wanted to all along. And unsurprisingly, they chose to continue to live in Short Creek. What the fuck? It is well known. Oh, no. So it is something that happens. So like, I cannot even tell you how many people there are that have been kicked out of the church. But because that's the only thing that they have ever known 
that's the only place they've ever lived. They have been told for their entire lives that the people that lived outside of the city were the worst sinners that were going to corrupt them from the moment they stepped foot on the soil. And so they, for some reason, will continue to live in this place where they're treated like garbage. They're like told to, they're harassed. They're told to like leave their houses. There's so literally many fucking things. So many happen. other cities, like so Unreal. many other cities in the, in the, in the country, like so many of them. And in that documentary, that I watched, they were they interviewed a couple women who are in the church in the cult, and they live in like extreme oh, 100%, 100%. poverty, and they're still living there. I mean, those people are still living there now with with Warren in, in prison, mm-hmm. and they're still he's the prophet. Oh yeah, uh, but like yeah, so the people that are under his in his favor are living in poverty. The people who are living against him in Short Creek are like on a day-to-day basis harassed. Of course. They're scraping by barely if they are even at all. They're kicked out of their homes by like their little gang, which we'll talk about. I mean, it is unreal. Like literally so many hundreds of cities in the United States. So many. Yeah. There's Seattle. (laughs) You're in Los Angeles. You're in a beautiful area. Salt Lake City. Yes. You're in a beautiful place. There's like, like I would move to Utah. There's, I mean, of course there's like, some weirdos about but like it's so beautiful it's gorgeous so beautiful you get but there's denver like up the road they don't have any there's phoenix to the south and that's the other thing is like since they were eight years old they were like building they skilled tradesmen but it doesn't matter because they're (laughs) gonna get out of the town and they're gonna be you know think that they're gonna be corrupted and go to hell and i understand like it must be very difficult if you were brainwashed from birth and your whole family is this way to break away from the feeling that i'm going to be doomed and what will i do right they just want salvation you know they're just so terrified so there's also this other little aspect that I didn't know really where to talk about it. And let's just throw it in here. It's that the FLDS is fucking racist oh, as so racist. fuck. They trim people of color out of their school textbooks, which we know shouldn't be taken seriously anyway. But in 2005, the Southern Poverty Law Center's intelligence report published the following statements that were made by Jeffs about people of color. First of all, he says the black race is the people through which the devil has always been able to bring evil into the earth. He also said Cain was cursed with a black skin and he is the father of the Negro people. He has great power, can appear and disappear. He is used by the devil as a mortal man to do great evils. I don't remember reading that in the Bible that Cain was cursed with black skin. That's something that a lot of racist religions will use is that Cain had dark skin and that's made him evil. And Wow. You mean in – you mean <laughs> that in oh, the, <laughs> the Middle East – you mean in the Middle East? You mean back in the biblical times, all the people that are in the Bible would never be dark, white in the in the desert? Yes, come on. Yeah, right. I know it doesn't make any sense, but it is used. It is used by multiple different I'm confused religions. For the whole situation. I'm surprised that you haven't heard about that before. Not, not the Cain thing. I never heard oh, that. That's like a whole. That's a whole other episode of just straight up religious racism. But anyway. <laughs> Um, he also said, today you can see a black man with a white woman, etc. A great evil has happened on this land because the devil knows that if all the people have Negro blood, there will be nobody worthy to have the priesthood. And then the last, if you marry a person who has connections with the Negro, you will become cursed. So, by the way, everyone, anyone, anyone LDS, I'm going to tell you, this is not something that you can deny is pervasive within your religion. And that's very troublesome, to say the least. 
and I'm pissed about it. But, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, I'll move on now. <laughs> I just had to put that somewhere and I was like, here we go. This is it. Because <laughs> uh, I just am so angry about everything. There's just so many absolutely terrible, terrible things in this relig- this religious cult. I just want to make it clear, actually. I just looked up the curse and the mark of Cain. Mm-hmm. The mark of Cain was something, was a mark that was put upon Cain. Okay. Not that he was dark. Well, they, that's how, that's, you know, the interpretation. Yeah. Well, that's how wrong. they run wild. The, a mark, like just, it's like a tattoo. It's like the Harry it's Potter. Like a, it's like a tattoo. <laughs> like forehead thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. The Harry Potter forehead <laughs> thing. Yep. It's like that. <laughs> I'm all, I'm all about the Harry Potter stuff. <laughs> I, know I can so much see about that. It. Uh-huh. I can see that you're very well versed. Mm-hmm. A, a Harry Potter scholar. Okay, so one day, Warren said that Rulon had received a vision that he was going to live hundreds of years as he was going to reach a valley 300 years in the future filled with women and children without ever experiencing death. This was news to Rulon, who every time he heard that he'd made this proclamation would whisper, huh, did I say that? I don't remember a thing of it. (laughs) It He must have been in a good old prophet trance. As you do, get in. Those things. <laughs> but Warren was scheming. He began accumulating more and more young brides for his mm-hmm. father under the pretense he needed plenty of quote unquote ladies to procreate with him through those hundreds and hundreds of years. But really what he was doing was just taking these girls off of the market yep. for any other men. But what did that son of a son of a bitch have planned? As we've mentioned, Rulon was pretty well bedridden, but he still believed he had some kind of sexual appetite somehow. <laughs> Even he was a little skeptical, yeah. though, at the young age of his new bride, saying to Winston Blackmore one evening, I don't know, ask Warren why I'm being married to all of these young girls. Even mm. he... Yes. Sorry. What? In fact, mm-hmm. I have a quote from okay. Rulon where he like actually like pounded the table and he was like, why do you keep having these young girls married to me. I am confused about the situation. I'm still, though, I'm confused. Is it just for public, like the public uh, perception? Because you were raping little girls. Right. So why are you all of a sudden acting like too good for this? You were all, you probably are the reason why Warren is doing this to begin with. Sure. You probably raped him too, you know, honestly. Sure. Anyways, but now he's, he's so old. Now he's 90. So for some reason, you know, being 70 and, and raping little kids it's is fine. okay. But 90 years old, he's just over the, over that point. He's like, he's past that now. He's too mature for that. He's grown. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He said it before I did. <sighs> of course, there were no marriage certificates needed. Not that I think the government needs to be involved in sanctioning marriages and divorces mm. to begin with, but that aside, the point here is that most of it was simply to circumvent the illeg- illeg- <laughs> illegalities? Illegalities? Mm-hmm. Gosh, wow, everyone, I can't crazy. say that word, of what was going on in these situations like child abuse and polygamy. Oh, you don't say. Warren kept sending wives his father's way up until six months before his death when Roland himself had to demand no more wives mm. to make him stop. Mm. I think it's pretty obvious that Warren was what Warren was doing here was saving these girls away to marry him once his father passed and possibly even so that he could molest them before his father passed because he was doing that. 
And if that weren't enough, in a shockingly short turn of time, he was pronouncing the end of the world, saying that God would lift up the faithful FLDS, destroy the earth with fire, and then carefully place the chosen few back down in the holy city of Zion. And it was going to happen September of 1998. When this obviously did not come to fruition, he pushed it back a month. But then take a guess about how that went. Well, I know that the world ended in 1999, so. <laughs> <laughs> We're just here in a simulation. Well, we could be, but, but that's not the point. It wasn't because of this. Then he said in December it was going to happen, which obviously didn't work out for him again. But he needed to stoke the coals of doom. And he just continued to push the date out further and further. So embarrassing. Yeah, it's embarrassing. But it's not because they are all like, oh, you were just, yeah, you were off. It's like Earth time versus heaven time. You know, who, who knows? When Warren made a real big to-do about the date of June 12th, 1999, which would mark the 111th birthday of their late Uncle Leroy. Well, it, let me tell you something. What? 111 is a great number. It's it's a huge number in, like, numerology. Okay. Mm-hmm. But are you? let me tell you something. He might have been on something here. No. No. It was a big day in Short Creek and thousands gathered at dawn. You said what? Like I was really going to give you something like. I thought you were. Oh, God. Okay. 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 It was, this is June 12th, 1999. It was a big day in Short Creek and thousands gathered at dawn for a special service. This sounds like that episode of Parks and Rec. <laughs> Followed by a trek to Cottonwood Park where they waited all day long with the groceries that they brought to sustain <laughs> them while they waited for the Lord to prepare Zion just for them. They brought like the club crackers <laughs> with like some... <laughs> they have their, all their like, uh, what is it called? Provisions? Yeah, well, what is it called that everyone's doing now? The little dumps, the dumpster, the little basement, uh, what is it? The show. There's like a whole show. Doomsday Prepper. <laughs> they had their whole doomsday, like all the food that they would need for like months that they thought God would be preparing Zion for them. Anyway, when absolutely nothing at all happened, <laughs> of course, Warren turned it around on them mm. in typical abuser <laughs> fashion. Mm-hmm. He said that his father, was disappointed that the believers were still not strong enough in their faith to deserve this blessing of the end of the world. But never fear, he told them. They had yet another chance to clean up their acts in the following six months where they could sort out their shit. They, they had to be on their tip-top behavior or else, but pay no attention to what I'm doing over here. <laughs> Old Uncle Warren is just doing some stuff. We're just Don't worry about it. Out. Don't worry about it, though. He took things further and further, and he isolated Short Creek even more than it already was. See, Warren had put into Rulon's head that the end of the world was coming for years, and Rulon believed him, thinking that Y2K was inevitable. (laughs) Y2K. (laughs) Along with nuclear war. Oh, everyone, do you remember that? (laughs) I was eight. Oh my gosh, that was... (laughs) I had my first makeout sesh on Y2K. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So he believed that by 2000, it was all going to be over. And of course, Warren was feeding him all of this. I'm wondering why you, who supposed to, who supposedly gets, has your ear to God, is, are listening to your son. Right. Say this. I don't know. So, but spoiler alert, the year 2000 came and went 20 years ago. <laughs> And Warren told everyone that the Lord had determined that they were, again, weren't good enough. So he was going to give them some time 
more time to perfect themselves. I don't even honestly know the the actual number of end of the world dates that he gave them and then told them, it's okay, actually, you suck. It's your fault this didn't happen. Yeah. It has nothing to do with me. No, no, no. I'm going to give you a few more months. God said, eh, give him a few more months. <laughs> Just give him a few more months every single time. As you may have been able to deduce, the apocalyptic days never arose, never arrived, and they continued to be told that they were too sinful. Like I said, okay. So then he set a new date, which was 2002, when the entire world would migrate to Salt Lake City for the Olympics. It was then that he decided to move to Short Creek, knowing, cause he wasn't living there yet, knowing that thousands of members resided there, cause he was living in Salt Lake City, and there was only a few hundred people in Salt Lake City, so he knew he had to move to Short Creek if he really wanted to get embroiled in everyone's lives and be able to have the kind of power in the FLDS that he really wanted. So in January and February of 2002, the FLDS was made aware of the Winter Olympics being held in Salt Lake City. And they viewed this at invitation to their city as welcoming in evil sinners into their holy land and that it would destroy their lives. The FLDS members who were still in the Salt Lake City area started a migration to the extremely isolated area of Short Creek, which is that Colorado City, Arizona, and Hilldale, Utah area. These two cities are only separated between the Arizona and Utah bordered by the street called Uzona. If you look at it on Google Maps and go through the town, it's A, a ghost town, but you can actually also see what it looks like, and it just looks like a large city. It's just that they're called two different cities, and they're in two different states. I had a really hard time connecting that they were actually one city that's just separated mm-hmm. by a border. Yeah. Um But this was done with the intention that if something happened on one side of the border, they could just cross over and be in a totally different jurisdiction and not really have any consequences to serve. Yeah. The the area is super isolated. One area is surrounded by Vermilion Cliffs and the other side is surrounded by nothing but the desert. And essentially you go down far enough and it's the Grand Canyon. As well, shortly after Rulon's stroke, Warren began assigning wives, which was a task that only the prophet could take on. He also introduced the role of seed bearers to the community, making a proclamation that couples could no longer have intercourse unless given permission. (laughs) Okay. All right. I'm just going to nothing. I'm just going to continue to listen to this bullshit. Only men from elite families would be allowed to father children and 15 of these elite men were chosen to be seed bearers. In this process, Warren would talk to the couple in the morning and tell them essentially that they could fuck. <laughs> but in the evening, three seed bearers who were all wearing black, all black to avoid identification would come to the couple's home. What? Two men would take notes. What? <laughs> what? And the third man would fuck her while the husband would hold her hand all the handmaid's tail, but like reverse. What? Yeah. Yeah. The fuck? Yeah. Any couple touching or having intercourse with their spouse would be excommunicated for adultery, and this fear would ensure people obey. I cannot even believe the audacity here. Bear in mind, however, Rulon was still alive at this point. Which also kind of gave the members of the cult who were now having to listen to Warren this sense of, well... 
it's okay because his father is really there still. He's yeah. still the one running everything. Yeah. And really he wasn't, you know. No. Not that Rulon was any fucking better, really. You know, Rulon was a piece of trash. Yeah. So Rulon himself, prior to 2002, prior to all of that, um, Warren himself and the family moved to Short Creek in 1998. And then in 1999, he took t- 10 more wives in a year. Some of his wives being as young as 16 and the same age that his own daughter, Rachel Warren, was at the time. It was also that same year that he married Jennifer and Joanna Steed, who were two more sisters. Also, according to Rachel, Warren's attentions towards her because of his new marriages became less and less frequent to the point where she had convinced herself that he'd given up. However, he unfortunately hadn't. One night, he took a few of the girls to St. George for dinner. Their car had bench seats, and he asked Rachel to sit next to him in front while he drove, and her sisters were in the back. It was dark on the way home, and he took her hand and placed it on his groin. She tried to pull away, but he wouldn't let go, and she was afraid that her sisters might see, so she didn't fight too hard for her hand. When she got home, she went straight to the bathroom and locked the door, and she decided to take a long shower so he wouldn't be able to get to her. After that, she went to her sister Becky and said, let's sleep in Mother Barbara's room tonight. They would often sleep on the floor or sofa in her room while they were growing up, but they walked to the room and opened the door only to see Warren and Barbara having sex. So they decided to sleep in their mother Annette's room instead. A few minutes later, Warren came to the bedroom and asked Rachel if she was okay and if she wanted to talk to him. She told him she was too tired, and as he walked away, he heard him say, Lori, come talk to me. Lori was one of his younger wives. It was weeks later, and Warren announced to the family that both Barbara and Lori were pregnant and due on the same day. So Rachel often thought back about if that had been her. She felt like if she had gone with him that night, she could be having a baby too. Ugh. He then tried to molest her only one more time. It was one night in December of 1999 when he called Rachel on the house phone and said, Rachel, come talk to me in my room. She, of course, had the same gut feeling, but it was late and she said she was too tired to disobey him. So she went to his room and knocked. He opened up the door, motioned for her to step inside and shut the door. The room was dark and he took a seat on his sofa. He told her to come sit by her, so she did, and he took her hand and pressed it against him and put it on his quote-unquote boy she got serious and she said that she felt like she was done with him trying to hurt her so she quickly took her hand back she got up and she walked out of the room shutting the door behind when she got to her room she picked up a notebook and searched for a pen she sat down and wrote a letter to him and wrote i hate when you do those things to me she slid it under his door that night And the next morning, she didn't go to the morning reading or prayer with her family. She later found out that he hadn't gone that morning either, which was a very rare event in their lives. Around 10 in the morning, one of the mothers, Millie, came to her. She told her that he wanted her in his office. This meant his office at Rulon's house, where he had conducted church business. The door to his office was open when she arrived, and he was sitting in his chair. She stepped in and closed the door behind her, taking a seat right across from him. He looked at her in silence, trying to convey expression of, like, being hurt. Mm. She said she was not going to offer comfort, 
if that was what his expectation was. And they stayed like that for several minutes. Okay. Just staring at him and him like being like, me. Finally, his expression collapsed into one of shame and defeat. He dropped his gaze to the floor and took a deep breath purposefully, causing a catch in his throat. Then he slowly slid from his chair and got down on his knees in front of her. He put his hands together as though he was praying, and he said in an almost ethereal soft voice, Rachel, please forgive me. I beg you, forgive me. Ugh. No. <laughs> she said that seeing him prostrate himself before her seemed hypocritical and insincere, and even his apology made her feel unclean. So she had to stop this performance and said, yes, yeah, 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 I forgive you. Mm. So he went back to his chair, and when he looked at her again, his face regained its composure, showing literally zero hint of shame at all anymore. Maybe he should have been an actor. He, you know what? Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> he told her, Rachel, you are a good and clean girl, and I want you to know that my father put me in the position of first counselor. We can keep this between me and you, okay? Ugh. Yeah. Sure. That's mm. why. That's why. That's the only reason he, like, was like, me, me, me. Yeah. So, also, in 2001, 2001, Rulon, and I'm doing air quotes here because, remember, Rulon had a stroke and Warren was making all the rules now, arranged for Elisa Wall, who was at that time 14 years old, to marry her 19-year-old cousin, Alan Steed. Lisa stated that she despised her cousin and asked that she be given more time or another possible husband. However, her stepfather and mother were supportive of the marriage and Fuck encouraged her to go through with it. Parents. Yeah. They sewed her wedding dress and organized her honeymoon. She and Alan Steed were married at the Hot Springs Motel in Caliente, uh, Nevada, which had been purchased by the FLDS in 1997. And this was also where all ceremonies had been confirmed until 2004. Warren Jeffs, who had, of course, insisted that the wedding move forward, performed the ceremony. Elisa describes the marriage as traumatic, with frequent rapes and miscarriages. She recounts that she did not receive any sex, like sex education while in school, and it was, as a result was unable to understand her husband's advances. As her marriage with her cousin fell apart, mm -hmm. She began to spend nights sleeping in her truck and at that point met former FLDS member Lamont Barlow. Wall, who was then 17, began an affair with the man who was then 25. Which in like a normal society would be statutory rape. 100%. In this society, it's like, thank God you're thank getting around so much, with somebody yeah. you're similar to your own age. Yeah. And he encouraged her to leave the church with him. Their affair was eventually uncovered when she became pregnant by him, and Jeffs had the or Warren Jeffs had the marriage to Alan Steed annulled. Elisa left the FLDS and married Lamont, having two children with him. It was around this time that Warren also began establishing a we versus they mentality. I think that she also ends up later on being one of the the key yeah. um, testimonies against him in court. So the Jeffs compound encompasses an entire city block and $110 million in assets were given to the Jeffs family. This is like all too similar to megachurch leaders. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. As we mentioned previously as well, Warren began making a more dramatic shift from Joseph Smith's original teachings regarding maintaining a sense of community 
to one of pleasing the prophet. At this point, Warren knew that Rulon wasn't going to live for much longer, so he was kind of starting to set his own self up to be the king. Back to the fact that Warren kept marrying younger and younger girls to Rulon. The actuality of the situation was that Warren was doing this to set up a harem for himself after his death. One of Rulon's wives became pregnant before Rulon died with twins, and because Rulon could not have had children at that point, the children were definitely Warren's. So at this point, Rulon would kind of have to die. All they had to do really was feed him the wrong things since he was pretty incapacitated, and that is what is believed that they did. On September 7th of 2002, Rulon Jeffs was admitted to the hospital with an intestinal blockage that required surgery. The surgeon came out and reported that Rulon was very weak after the surgery, and they weren't sure if he was going to pull through. Around noon the same day, the doctors reported that he was failing and he passed on September 8th of 2002. At 92 or 93 years old, there are varying ages that I saw, so I yeah. don't know. Their records as far as everyone's everything and personal identification is, are pretty hairy. Immediately after Rulon's death, much, af much like David Miscavige after L. Ron Hubbard's death, Warren announced that he had been chosen as the new prophet because he is, of course, in communication with his father on the other side, mm -hmm. and he closed Alta Academy. Some scholars say that that might have been a fuck you to the school, as he had seen the job as beneath him, you know, mm. being the narcissist that he was. Mm -hmm. He went a step further and called the public school evil and closed all other schools and ordered his 10,000 followers to homeschool their children. Learning is evil because then you understand that what we're telling you is utter horseshit. <laughs> Within a week of Rulon's death, he married all but three of his wives. All of Rulon's wives. Mm -hmm. One had fled the FLDS. One had refused to marry him, and her name was Rebecca Musser. And... And she was excommunicated, and one was his own mother, so he wasn't going to marry his own mother. Surprisingly. Warren claimed that Rulon was still guiding the people through him, although eventually he stopped saying that, instead saying, this is what the Lord wants. This is what the Lord has revealed to me. In a lot of his sermons, he frequently mentions that he has had a revelation from God. Additionally, with his newfound power, he would be able to excommunicate anyone for any reason at any time. Warren's brother, Wallace Jeffs, said that he wanted to remove any man he thought would be a threat to his power or influence. So he called a meeting, which was to be a Saturday work project. He then read a revelation that he'd had from God, saying that certain men were no longer worthy of priesthood or their families, and started casting out threats. Any man whose priesthood was revoked also had to revoke his wives because only men with priesthood could have multiple wives. And there are reports of young men between the ages of 13 and 21 being pressured or excommunicated from the cult because birth rates of boys are more than girls within the FLDS and women do not enter the community in large numbers. Therefore, the pool of available women is not sufficient for all men to have multiple wives. So mentioning that, let's take a quick detour to discuss these lost boys as they're called. These lost boys are former FLDS kids who were deemed to be inharmonious with how God wanted members to behave and are excommunicated and literally thrown out on the side of a highway. 
The list of offenses that got boys thrown away range from flirting with a girl to watching television to the prophet having seen them in a bad dream. So basically any fucking thing you Jesus. could think of. And it's very frightening to think that a person can say they had a bad dream about you and that condemns you from that point forward. I actually had a bad dream about you. <clears throat> oh, wow. Yeah. So well, you need to get the fuck out of my life. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Since the polygamous society needs a lot more women than men, like you just said, boys are definitely more easily discarded, while girls are seen as a valuable commodity, even though they're also disregarded altogether as anything other than sex toys. Mm. Likewise, if girls are allowed to choose who they want to marry, they would inevitably pick the hardworking, younger, more attractive boys that were closer to their own age than the old farts that they were trying to ta- that were trying to take them on as wife number ten which totally works against the FLDS caste system. Church leaders will go to great lengths to protect the pool of potential brides for the more esteemed old farts, and boys can be instantly banished for any little thing they decide to make a fuss about under the guise of love and religious piety. Boys begin to enter the quote-unquote danger zone as young as 11 and are at constant risk until they reach adulthood. Most lost boys have a third-grade education at best, and it is all dependent upon their level of obedience and if they have valuable skills they can use to contribute to the cult. Considering the kids are learning how to be humans at this age and are essentially hunted out by the church to banish them for every small misstep, it's a wonder that they are, there aren't a bunch of FLDS serial killers out there in the United States. Or are there? We don't really know, I guess. It's very, yeah. it's like a very almost incelly kind of thought process. So who knows? So how does the cult prevent all of these factors that could work against their system? So, first of all, they keep all children, boys and girls both, completely clueless about about sex education and the topic of marital intimacy. Sex is never discussed with the children, and unless they see animals breeding on a farm, they have no idea what Mm. sexual relations even are. They are admonished to completely avoid physical contact altogether and treat the opposite sex like a poisonous snake. For most young brides, her first intimate encounter in life is in the abuse that is given to her or dealt against her by her newly assigned old fart of a husband. Which brings us to the second element at play here. Every FLDS girl's parents hope to place their little bride in a prominent church family, which in turn raises the status of little bride's father in the eyes of the other male church leaders, which in turn brings them more religious connections and more business and more money. Sons are given much less leeway, and if they're lucky and don't end up as lost boys, the prophet will be oh so kind as to assign them a wife of his choosing and a plot of UEP land that they can build a home on. That's in the very, very best of cases that typically does not happen. The couple will, of course, be expected to have children, as the success of the cult relies on more little girls to marry off to the top old dudes of FLDS. Sorry about it to you boys, though. You shouldn't have been born at all. Why did you do that? If the young dude persists in being obedient and contributes enough to get the attention of the leader men, it's possible that he may be blessed with a second wife, which means having more children than being granted with the title of quote-unquote father. At this point, this fine, upstanding human trafficker is considered to be firmly on the path and could be assigned a third wife. This third wife in FLDS doctrine is the ticket to reaching the highest kingdom of heaven, 
Plus, it lets you have even more children to marry off to high-standing families and boys to use as workers, and the rest of you can just go out and get tossed along the highway. Yet still, he must remain obedient and on the good side of the prophet in order to truly secure that seat up in FLDS heaven. So even if you get to the point as a male in the church... Because, I mean, obviously, these old dudes were young dudes at some point. But so if you get to the point where you just ass kiss and ass kiss and ass kiss, and then you're even granted the ability to have three wives, any little thing you do could result in the prophet banishing you to hell Mm -hmm. and losing everything. All your wives, your whole family, your home, everything. Or worse, the outside world. (laughs) Legitimately, everyone in FLDS believe that the only way a woman can reach heaven is with her husband or her priesthood head. If a woman's husband is looked on less than super duper favorably by the cult authorities, she is doomed to share his shitty fate for all eternity. I cannot even begin to tell you how badly this chaps my ass. (laughs) And I already have, you know, bemoaned it, but fucking what are you saying to me right now? I cannot, I cannot with religious bullshit trying to act as the women are nothing when it's clearly used as a way to put us down, take away our power, because if we really had it, we could do whatever we wanted (laughs) and destroy all of your stupid asses. I'm furious. Okay, so... uh, So, and then, of course, the foundation of the entire FLDS system is built based on how many children can be contributed to it. Thus, the cycle of abuse keeps on keeping on. More wives, more of God's love. It's only logic. Some boys are told not to return unless they can return with a wife. I can't imagine that they would accept that wife. No, of course not. A 2005 article estimated that between 400 and 1,000 boys and young men had been pressured to leave for such reasons. As, you know, talking to a girl, playing football, watching television, all that. Picking their nose. Mm. Many young women also have left or have been pressured to leave because they did not want to be part of polygamous marriages. Can't see why not. I mean, you don't I, want a sister wife? I don't. Uh, no. I can I have a sister? Can I have a sister husband? Can I have a, a brother <laughs> husband? No, that sounds terrible. Can I have? Can, can I have a husband number two and <laughs> number three? <laughs> okay. Boys in these sects are commonly raised not to trust the outside world. And that leaving their communities is a sin worse than murder. And see, and that is that is why that even if they're expelled, they still, most of them remain in Short mm-hmm. Creek. So with little education or skills applicable to life outside of their community of birth, they must learn to live in a society they inherently distrust, yet know little while dealing with the consequences of being shunned by their families and behaving and believing they are beyond spiritual redemption. The families of banished boys are told that the boys are now dead to them. And they, like, go along with it. Yeah. Ugh. Some individuals, such as Dan Fisher, who is a dentist who left the FLDS cult, work to help young men who have left or have been ejected from polygamist organizations in cities like Hildale, Utah, or Colorado City, Arizona. So Dan Fisher was a former polygamist in the FLDS church, and he left in the 90s. He had become wealthy developing a teeth whitening system and started this nonprofit that you talked about, which he named Smiles for Diversity. And that nonprofit recruited dentists and orthopedic surgeons to fix the teeth of children in third world countries. But then he's like, oh, wait, this is also a third world. This is a third world community. We are also in a third world community here. 
Due to his reputation for helping people, lost boys from the cult began showing up at his home. One by one, the rooms in his home began to fill up until he had to build additional apartments to accommodate them. I mean, it wow. was... There are so many. He helped them get desperately needed education, life skills, and learn to become independent and get out on the world a little more prepared than when the FLDS dumped them on the side of the highway. The incredible number of boys being cast out of the FLDS society drove Fisher to evolve Smiles for Diversity into the Diversity Foundation, providing shelter, food, educational opportunities, guidance, and friendship under he and his wife Alina's leadership. The relationships they form with the Lost Boys expose them to the nauseating number of abuses taking place within the cult, and for the role he played and information he learned made him an enemy of the cult. They attempted to smear the shit out of his name, and he refused to play dirty back. The Diversity Foundation directors weren't quite as forgiving, and they hired Baltimore attorney Joanne Souter to take on the cult, which they will do, and he is one of many of these lawsuits that had been started, which we'll continue to talk about because it's like... Through the years they just keep getting added on and added on against FLDS and Warren Jeffs. While Warren Jeffs was still taking over, he also established the Guad Guad Squad. The Guad Squad. <clears throat> the God Squad. Helaman Barlow, who was the head of the marshals that patrol the twin towns of Colorado City and Hilldale, said, quote, to be a police officer in this community and to be hired by the marshal's office is a calling from the church. You had to get permission to go to the police academy from the church. As the chief marshal, Barlow said his job was to protect the church. He joined the force 20 years ago and said he quickly learned that the marshals work hand in glove with FLDS cult security, known as the God Squad, who keep a very close eye on outsiders. They have a huge network of cameras in this community. They can watch every street, he said. The God Squad didn't only watch outsiders, however. They also watched the community for anything they might be doing that went against Warren's word. Warren began taking away his community's freedoms one inch at a time. He took away television, basketball, toys, games, movies, newspapers, internet, pets, dancing, Pioneer Day, which is actually an official holiday celebrated on July 24th in Utah. Hmm with some celebrations taking place in regions of surrounding states originally settled by Mormon pioneers. And, of course, there was no Christmas. Of course, taking away all worldly media plays a significant role in the process of indoctrination, as these people are now completely isolated. And since these people were used to obeying authority, these new rules were not really of any consequence to them. The more afraid they were, the more bonded they became to him. They believed, and some still do believe, in the prophet with blind obedience because more fear equals more dependence, which equals more control. And that is where we are going to end this episode. This is, like we said, the longest episode we've ever done in our lives, and we're not nearly done, but we need to cut it off for today. So thank you for listening. We love you. Go uh, rate and review us, share us with your friends, and come back tomorrow right yeah this is going to be out soon the next episode is going to be out much sooner than you probably expect or come back soon and you'll you'll see this episode uh have a great life have a great everything creep Creep it real. real